Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Leo Sabo, and I will be your host for today's conversation. On today's episode of Stewardship Leader, I'm joined by my friend Dave Briggs, the Stewardship Director at Central Christian Church in Mesa, Arizona. Dave has served in the stewardship ministry for over 17 years, 10 years at Central Christian, his current assignment, and seven years at Willow Creek Community Church in Illinois, in the Chicago area, where he created some great resources that are still being used today. He has a lot of ministry experience, and I know you will gain a tremendous amount of value from what he will share with us today. Dave, welcome. Hey, thanks, Leo. Great to be on. Well, I'm so excited to uh, to have this conversation with you and just expose our, our members to some of the wealth of wisdom that you've gained over all these years of ministry. Let's start, though, with your personal story. How did you get involved in the stewardship ministry? Well, it actually goes back to when I was in my mid-20s. Wow. And I, I heard on the radio three guys that were all kind of talking stewardship at the same time, Larry Burkett. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard Dayton and Ron Blue. And I heard them talk about stewardship from from their perspective. They talked about the biblical aspect. And I remember it just grabbing a hold of me, how Mm. incredibly important that message was and how so few people were actually talking about that. And so those three guys kind of mentored me from afar and instilled within me a tremendous desire to find out everything I possibly could about stewardship. I read every book I could get a hold of. Mm. I, I bored deeply into what the word said about stewardship, and I became thoroughly hooked um, with regard to to not only um, developing a theology of money and developing a love for stewardship, but wondering how I can help communicate that to others. And so that started a long history of me serving as a volunteer in my church. Uh, I wrote a seminar called uh, Biblical Steps to Financial Victory. Mm. And each step was a different aspect of stewardship. And I taught that not only in my church, but actually got invitations to teach it in other churches. Um, I was working for GE at the time. That was my uh, my my main career, and I really thought I would be at GE the rest of my career and do stewardship uh, as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, 17 or 18 years ago, God got involved, and I left GE. and And through a series of circumstances of of uh, people who knew people who knew people, I got a phone call from uh, Willow Creek wanting to know if if I was interested in uh, interviewing for their open stewardship position. Mm-hmm. And so 18 interviews later, wow. <laughs> hired me and we moved to Chicago um, to, to be able to lead the, the ministry there. Wow. So where did you move from? We were living in Virginia at the time. Virginia, so okay. Virginia, which is where I work with GE. We moved to Chicago and with no 
formal full-time ministry experience. Wow. I'm still amazed that Willow took a risk on such a newbie like uh, like myself. But obviously, um, God got involved, opened the doors, and I had a seven-year uh, stint there at Willow, which was just fabulous, um, and and really enjoyed my time there. After seven years there, a couple of businessmen from my current church were visiting churches to find out more about stewardship. We established a relationship. They asked me if I would like to come down to their church in Phoenix on a couple of weekends and just teach some some classes. And I said mm -hmm. I'd love to do that. Yeah. And after doing that for a while, the senior pastor uh, here, Cal Jernigan. Uh, came up and said, hey, why don't you just move down here and start a ministry here at our church? And my wife and I prayed about it and felt that that was something God wanted us uh, wanted us to do. And we've been here for the last 10 years and have enjoyed every minute of the 10 years I've been here at Central. Hmm. That's a neat story. Uh, and it's very similar to a lot of our podcast previous interviewees, which is that you weren't your typical coming out of seminary uh, pastor that just happens to focus on stewardship, but you are just a guy, again, being influenced by stewardship, by previous stewardship, passionate people, Larry Biquette, Howard Dayton, Ron Blue. And I think that's something that has happened to a lot of people. I love this because it's just God's way of saying, I'm going to pick the people that I think will not only do a good job, but have the right heart for it. And you obviously did. And you made a comment and said, I don't know why these guys would take a chance, but I've known you long enough to say, not only are you faithful, have this desire to help people. I've gained so much just by knowing you and all the conversations we've had over the years. Everybody should know Dave because they would really benefit from you as a person, but also, of course, the knowledge you've gained. The other thing that really impresses me is just this transition you made. You were at a premium opportunity there. I mean, you were at Willow Creek Church, internationally known church of a ministry that was probably one of the biggest in the country at the time, and you made this move. Obviously, that was a God thing. And so you don't have to go real deep into it. My point for bringing it up, and what I really wanted to ask you, Dave, is how was that different than starting the ministry of Central? Obviously, you stepped into a ministry that was already ongoing, so there must have been some differences. Share some of that. What was it like stepping into a ministry that was already there? What was your role? What did you have to do? And then, of course, we can get into your transition to Central and starting a brand new ministry. Yeah, one of the things about Willow is I think they may have been the first church in the country to employ a full-time stewardship pastor. Mm, okay. And at the time I arrived, they had a full-time stewardship ministry there for almost 20 years. Wow. So the benefit to me as a newcomer to full-time stewardship, you know, ministry on staff was I stepped into um, a ministry that was already running. And so because of that, I was able to uh, pick the brains of people who had been serving in that ministry, and I had the ability to kind of fit into something that was already moving mm -hmm. and gave me the luxury of having uh, some time to learn what was currently being done and then to be able to add some additional things to make some of my own changes that I wanted to bring in place without having to figure it all out from scratch. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, I, I determined very early on that having a core team of people on your leadership team mm -hmm. was vital. That, that you can't do this ministry alone. You can't be a lone ranger. And you need to uh, 
gather around those people who are volunteers that are passionate about stewardship and do stewardship ministry as a team. Right. And so one of the things that I wanted to do there is take a team that already existed, uh, train them, um, support them, help them know how much I desperately needed them and how we were a team and it wasn't just my ministry. And I think that was one of the things that I look back most fondly with that our team became very, very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met monthly for two or three hours and we enjoyed being together doing what we love doing. Yeah, that's awesome. So then you make your transition over from Willow Creek and you step into this new role of building a brand new stewardship ministry and you had experience. So you didn't step in wondering, what do I do first? It's a little bit different than a lot of folks that we have had on before. And even my own story, I stepped in not having any clue, how do I build a coaching ministry as part of a larger stewardship ministry? And you had that experience to go in. How did that help you? What were your initial thoughts in building a ministry with all this information you already had, this experience that you had? And how did you go about doing that? I felt incredibly fortunate to have arrived at Central with a pretty good vision of what worked and what Mm -hmm. didn't work. I essentially had a chance to make all my blunders and errors at Willow (laughs) and to know what to avoid doing uh, when I came to Central. And so I think that gave me a tremendous advantage to focus on the things that I knew worked and to avoid the things that didn't work. And so Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing I wanted to do was to, to cast a vision not only to potential volunteers, but to the entire church of why a stewardship ministry matters. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time creating alliances with influential people at church to make sure they understood, at least from my perspective, why this ministry will help Central, why it will help our people. And then the next thing I wanted to do is to create an opportunity for people who might be interested in the ministry to gather together. And, and hear the vision for what we could accomplish as a team and why it matters. And then to be able to have individual conversations with those people to eventually build that core team. So I started by building the core team and then together um, divided up the individual tasks that needed to be done, the things that needed to be done among the core team. So it truly was a team effort. Mm-hmm. Um, we ran a lot of classes. We tried to make the classes not so um, people would conclude they are just get out your paper and pencil because we're going to teach you how to do a budget, but to, to develop classes that people would understand fairly early on. If I Um, come in contact with his information. If I learn this information, my life will be better. And, and so trying to, uh, trying to make it apparent right from the beginning that this is a ministry that can help you as an individual, it can help the church, and it can help the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, people then begin to view your ministry not as um, a fundraising ministry, but as truly a ministry that is committed to helping people and to grow disciples and to help them in their spiritual lives. That's really good. Now, I remember when you made that transition over, I already knew you by then. And one of the things that I 
didn't have privy to is the details that I'd like you to share, which is, I know the kind of person you are. I know you're very detailed, you're methodical, and no, no doubt you built the ministry the same way, and you shared some of that already. But what did it look like to actually launch? You started, and you said you started building a team. Give us a, an idea of time frame. How long did it take you to get some curriculum in place, to launch these leaders? Because I think for some of our people out there that are looking to build a stewardship ministry, they might be thinking, I have to have like 10 things going at the same time, day one. And so lay that out. What does that look like? Because you had the experience to come in and say, I know what works, what doesn't. How did you do it in a way that that you knew was going to succeed? And did you worry about how quickly you had to get it in place? Share about that timeline and the implementation process. Great, great point. Uh, I had a couple of advantages. Again, I had the advantage of my time at Willow, but I also had the advantage of the fact that the senior pastor of a sizable church of 10,000 people um, kind of recruited me to come. Mm. He wanted me here. He he already had developed in his particular ministry an understanding of how important stewardship was. So that was a great advantage. Mm -hmm. He recruited me to come, which means he pretty much gave me free reign to develop the ministry in whatever way I felt would be in Central's best interest. Mm -hmm. So I was not under the gun to have to, quote unquote, produce any results too quickly just to show that I'm justifying my position. Mm And that allowed me to be somewhat methodical at understanding that building a stewardship ministry is never going to happen quickly. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen when you are essentially converting people to understand the importance of stewardship almost a person at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I continued to talk to people that I would much rather build an effective ministry that is sustainable than one that is put together quickly, but may not, may not be there for the long run. Hmm. And so I, I was under no pressure to do things quickly. And when we, when we made progress, when we took a step forward, I wanted to make sure that that we weren't going to take any steps backwards. And, and so that's why, um, after we would run a class or after we would run a seminar, um, we would invite people to come talk to us about joining the team. And so I took a lot of time to train the right people and to know that I had the ability to not take everybody that wants to be on the team, but only take people that have the right passion, the right capability, ones that are joining the team for the right reason, because I wasn't in any hurry. That's good. And I can see where that would be a temptation for some people to want to move so quickly to show that we've done a lot of cool stuff. But that's usually not uh, the way to make it most sustainable. Yeah, totally agree with you on that. And I think for those people who are hired or brought on with this mindset, maybe the senior leader is not the one that's pursuing them. Maybe someone else talked them up and finally got the senior leader to say, mm, okay, let's get this done. And so they're probably, I would have guessed, that they're probably thinking, okay, I'm paying this guy a salary, he's on full-time, let's see what he's going to do. So maybe they're looking at the bottom line, maybe they have, unfortunately, not quite the right perspective on it, and there might be some pressure. So how would you guide that leader to communicate to the 
upper management, so to speak, the executive senior leader on what they're doing and why they're doing it so that they don't have that pressure of, I'm not seeing a increase in giving. I'm not seeing any life change. How can you guide them? What would you do different? If you were in that position, how would you do that so that these people would have an idea of what do I do if I'm in this different situation than Dave? You know, and I get this question a lot because I'll admit my situation was unique. And most people who have a passion for stewardship and want to lead their churches either as full-time staff, part-time staff, or simply as a volunteer, um, they're all excited about stewardship. They have a great passion for it. And I think sometimes we make the mistake just because we're passionate about stewardship, we expect everybody else is going to be passionate about stewardship, which is not the case. So one of the things that I would, well, I would advise people on two very important points. First of all, I would make it crystal clear to everybody who will listen that there is a difference between a stewardship discipleship ministry and a fundraising ministry. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying fundraising is bad. and, And some people might not even agree with my position, but I do believe that a stewardship ministry and a fundraising ministry are two separate aspects of the church and that trying to do both at the same time can be really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, one of the things that I appreciate my senior pastor when he was initially asking me if I would join uh, the staff at Central, I said, I, I said, Cal, I have to ask you a question. Um, I was not called to be a fundraiser. I was called to lead people in discipleship in the area of personal stewardship. And I, God didn't call me to be a fundraiser. I'm not saying fundraising is bad. That's just not what God called me to do. And this is what he said, and I'll never forget it. He looked at me right in the eye and he said, you're the stewardship guy. I'm the fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's fine. And he has never in the last 10 years, never deviated from allowing me to disciple people in stewardship. He's never asked me to raise funds. Now, the irony is when you disciple people in stewardship, uh, the funds are not a problem. Right, right. And the whole time I've been here in 10 years, we have never had to have a fundraising campaign. Hmm. We have just simply used the resources that God has given us through central people uh, giving and their their generosity. So that has worked out extremely well, but that's not always the case. So once once you've uh, made it clear to the key decision makers that stewardship and fundraising are two different functions, then, then I think it is extremely important that particularly a new person, takes the time to establish one-on-one conversations with as many influential people as possible and to have a heart-to-heart conversation with them about why stewardship matters, what stewardship is, some of the biblical perspective on stewardship, so that you begin to create, create allies for your ministry of people with influence within your church. And I have found that to be so incredibly valuable because now all of a sudden you're not running up against people who are asking the question, you know, what does a stewardship ministry do? Why do we have a stewardship ministry? Uh, 
you've already had those conversations up front. I found that to be incredibly important, even though it takes time. Mm-hmm. It's a good investment. It's a good investment of your time. That's great. That's really, really good input there because it does talk about this pressure that you feel as a stewardship leader who potentially may have to show that, hey, this was a good idea hiring me. Uh, by getting more people on your side, they're able to talk the same language and more than likely because they're influential, they might get the ear of the leadership at the church, maybe even the senior pastor, and they're able to communicate the same thing you are. So you're not the only guy beating that drum. So I love that. That's really, really great input. Leo, let me give you an example of why this is important. When I first arrived at Central, I realized that there was a need to help our people become financially healthy. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were not able to give as much as they might have wanted to because they were not financially healthy. Mm -hmm. So I decided that our first emphasis was going to be providing the kind of classes, the kind of coaching, the kind of environment where we could expose our people to the kind of things that would help them get financially healthy. And after that period of time, which actually took quite a while, then we could begin to shift over to talking more about generosity and more about the the role of giving in one's personal life. And the truth of the matter is looking back on it now, the first four years I was here, for four full years, our giving did not go up. Hmm. And it didn't go up because we weren't teaching people about giving per se. We were helping to get financially healthy. Once we kind of turned the corner, uh, we hit it hard. Our senior leader did a stewardship message one fall and then a generosity message uh, the next spring. I shifted a lot of what I was teaching away from getting healthy to our responsibility to God and mm-hmm. generosity. And within a six month period, our giving went up 40%. Wow. And it has stayed there ever since. It's a testament, though, to the fact that you took the time to get people healthy. And by that, you walk them through a workshop on how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to the practical ways of managing money. But then you realize, okay, now that you're healthy, now we can start talking about giving. And I, and I really like that approach. I think a lot of churches think, well, if we just encourage them to give, then God will fix their mess. And the reality is that giving doesn't fix your financial problems, right? It doesn't, unless you begin to do some practical things. And I think as stewardship leaders, we understand that because many of us have actually walked that out. We had a big mess on our hands. We started doing some practical things, and then God opened up our hearts to understand the stewardship, that it's not just about the money, but it's actually about turning your heart over to God and allowing Him to lead you both in managing and the choices you make, but also in the giving. But I do like the approach. That's been my approach. Teach them first, and then encourage them to give, because then they're able, and they're not you know, disillusioned with the idea is like, I want to give, but I can't. So definitely support you in that. Not everybody agrees with this, so I I appreciate you bringing it up. And one of the interesting things is about six months prior to me arriving here, uh, our senior leader, and again, he he gets money, and I really appreciate that, but um, the budget was struggling a little bit, and so he came out, I think it was in February or March, and, and did a message on giving and the importance and the reason why we give and the church... Uh, you know, can do more ministry by giving. 
he did a, a very impassioned uh, message and giving shot way up. It, it went up like 65%. Hmm. Um, two months later, it went down 65%. Yeah, right. In fact, three months later, giving had not moved at all. It had just spiked up and then spiked back, back right down again. And, and so that helped me to understand that sustainability has got to be our goal. And the only way for sustainability to be in place is when you teach people to think differently so they live their lives differently. They make different commitments that are commitments that are permanent, not just some emotional appeal, which uh, kind of uh, goes away after a while and then they revert right back to where they were before, which also gave me encouragement to take the time necessary to build the kind of things that can be sustainable. Mm. Uh, the other thing too is having created those relationships with influential people allowed me the time not to be fired half a dozen times because giving didn't go up for the first four years I was on staff. Right. Mm. They That's understood great. that this was part of the process. Mm. That's great. Just love that your pastor understood that and you were not pressured and allowed you to build it because now it does have sustainability. It's not this fluctuation. Hey, it's summer. Nobody comes to church or everybody goes on vacation and giving goes down. It's not that because the culture has changed to one that understands stewardship at a core level and the giving is just part of what they do. So wonderful, wonderful process that you took um, in order to get to where you are today. I think it's very valuable. I think it's hard to implement because not every senior pastor has the, you know, the same perspective that your senior pastor had. It's not impossible, though. And I think one of the ways you mentioned, which is to get other passionate people who understand this, get them on your side. Use celebrating type of stories, you know, testimonies that say this is the life change that's happening. That's what a senior pastor wants to see. They want to see people being transformed. That's why they started a church. So they want to see people coming from a world perspective into a kingdom mindset. And that's what you're doing. But you need to do that, and you need to do that, like Dave said, one person at a time sometimes. And it seems like it's crawling and it's not getting there. And sometimes the church is growing by leaps and bounds, and like you're only touching a small percentage, and like we're not even getting, like we're not even keeping up with what's going on. I certainly felt that way at Gateway for many years because we were growing so fast and we were not putting everybody through the classes. But if you build something, it has to be done very intentionally. And the way you did it, I think, is a very good way to do it. Tell me, Dave, what kind of resources did you use early on? And then even now, like, how has that progressed? I know you created your own things. What did you use early on in order to get people financially healthy? Give us some ideas of what you used and what maybe a stewardship leader can use in order to start this ball rolling and get, get this education and this health in their own people. When I get that question, it's often a little frustrating for me to answer because I do believe I'm a little unique in that I have written 90% of everything we present. Mm. Now, some people write books. I don't write books. I write seminars. There you go. And I've done that uh, for basically as long as I've been interested in stewardship. Mm. And so it's not something I can say, well, every single stewardship leader ought to start writing seminars. Mm. So I recognize there's a uniqueness there that my model is not a model that people can replicate. Um, so again, uh, we have done Dave Ramsey's 
Financial Peace University, but it has been a relatively small part of what we present people. Uh, almost everything else is just uh, things that I've been able to write myself. And the, the advantage has been I can tailor seminars to both the needs that I see in our people as well as the opportunities to partner with other ministries and to work stewardship into some of the things other ministries are teaching because mm -hmm. I can create a seminar. So if, uh, if I'm partnering with the marriage ministry, I can write a seminar on marriage and money and, mm -hmm. and, and put those things together. If we're partnering with uh, our student ministry, uh, I put together um, an entire seminar on preparing your kid and your wallet for college. Mm. And so I know not everybody can do that. And so I, I'm probably not the best person to ask what resources are you using because I'm not really not, not using a lot of resources. But the key is when somebody does go looking for resources, try and find a broad base of different ways to get the message across. You can't just be doing a budget seminar 12 times a year. Uh, you gotta do a budget seminar and then you've gotta do it from some other perspective. Try and seek as many diverse ways to get the message across uh, would, be, would be probably my, uh, my overall arching uh, recommendation to somebody looking for resources. That's great. I know you create a lot of your own content, and so I didn't mean to set you up for the question to not be able to answer, but one of the things that you shared I think is really important, and I've experienced this in, in the ministry that I was running at Gateway, which is that over time, you might start with taking something off the shelf, like an FPU or something else, but over time, you get to learn the DNA of your own people and what felt needs they have. And unfortunately, uh, an FBU or some other content won't meet that need for every person in your church. And I think it's almost ridiculous to think that one content, one class, one workshop is going to serve everybody in your church because everybody's so uniquely different and in different seasons. So what I'm hearing you say is you looked at that and said, I've, we've used off the shelf stuff and we know it doesn't meet the need of the general audience that we have. It meets the need of a few, but not everyone. And it's not one class is not going to take them from the cradle to the grave either way. So the fact that you created it is because you said, okay, I know what I need to do in order to bring about a change that's literally across the whole culture. And I think that's something that anybody that's in stewardship for a while will get to. It just instinctively kind of brings you to that state where you're like, I have to create something that's more unique and much better meets the need of my congregation. And so it's okay to start with some off-the-shelf stuff. And even it's okay to use it in certain circumstances. But as you said, don't let it be the only source that you use. Otherwise, you don't really have a ministry. You have a program, and that program is going to be only marginally effective and only for a group of people. So talk about that. What's the difference between a program and a ministry? Because obviously there is a major difference. How would you define that? Well, I think, I think you led into that pretty well. Um, if all you're really doing is presenting curriculum and teaching people or facilitating curriculum, that's a program. Mm -hmm. A ministry is something that seeks to, to meet the diverse needs of a large number of people 
that that are all going to be connecting to the stewardship message a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. They also have to understand that this is not primarily a financial ministry. It's a relational ministry, meaning we want people to know that we are here as people to help people. So if they know that we're here to help them, then they will know this is a ministry they can go to to get some tailored help for their individual circumstance in a way that will help them and their unique need move forward in the area of stewardship. A program can't really do that. Mm-hmm. A program is like a one size fits all, take it or leave it, where right. a ministry says, what do you need and how can I help you move forward on your individual journey? And that's how I would kind of describe the difference. That's perfect. I love that description. It's a great, great analogy. All right, Dave. So what would you say to a senior church leader who may not be like your senior pastor, they may not understand the need for the stewardship ministry. What would you say to them, and how would you convince them or talk to them about the importance of having a stewardship ministry? That's a great question. Uh, One of the things I stumbled on a number of years ago that has been the single greatest tool that I have used to help people who are not necessarily oriented towards stewardship to understand how important it is in the church is to take them to a very familiar passage of the four seas and the four soils in Mark chapter four. And if you look very closely at how Jesus described the third seed to his disciples, he said something very, very significant. He mentioned three things. He said, the worries and cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things makes the word unfruitful. And when I really saw what Jesus was saying there, he's connecting two of those three things specifically to what we're addressing in stewardship, the Mm -hmm. deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for more and more things. So he not only says we need to be aware of those three, but the most significant thing he says is when these things get a foothold in your life, the word becomes unfruitful. And this is where every person who cares about the fruitfulness of God's word in the lives of individuals mm-hmm. has to care about the connection that Jesus made to two things that are directly addressed by a stewardship ministry. I have found that to be an incredibly effective way to bring someone who thinks stewardship is kind of this ministry off to the side right into the very core of what we want for every single one of our people spiritually. Yeah, and that's where it belongs, right in the center. That's great. All right, as a last question, how would you encourage, what would you say to a stewardship leader out there who's trying to maybe grow a stewardship ministry? Maybe they're trying to get it to the next level. What would you say to them? Well, as many of you know that are in stewardship, it can be a lonely ministry. Hmm. It can be lonely because there aren't that many people who have that passion. It may be that Nobody in your church uh, feels the same way about stewardship as yourself, and it's a hard ministry to do alone. So I think the single greatest thing that a person can do is to connect with other like-minded stewardship leaders, and the best way to do that is to get involved with CSN, Christian Stewardship Network. Um, What you have is the opportunity through CSN 
to talk to like-minded people who share the same joys and same frustrations and same mm. passion that you have. And, and not only to become encouraged, but to, to download some great information and some mm -hmm. great techniques that other stewardship leaders are finding successful. And so I have found that the single greatest thing, um, whether it be a, a person on staff or whether it be a volunteer who cares about stewardship ministry, get connected to CSN as quickly as possible, and it'll be one of the best things you do. Hmm. I agree. Thank you for that uh, encouragement to those leaders. And we do hope to see you in Louisville on March 2nd to the 4th. We're going to have our 2020 CSN forum. We'd love to have you there. Dave, I appreciate so much that you took the time to be with us today. I know that you've offered a lot of great, great value to our listeners. And I'm just grateful for you. Uh, you're a friend, but you're also one of the one of the premier stewardship pastors out there that a lot of people are looking to. So I appreciate your time investing in these uh, stewardship leaders. Grateful for you. Thank you for being here. Well, and I'll, I'll shoot back at you, Leo. I'm just very grateful for what you're doing and your passion for stewardship. Uh, you've always been a great encouragement to me and I look forward to many more years serving together, my friend. Amen. And thank you for listening to this episode of Stewardship Leader. If you found it helpful, please share it with other stewardship or church leaders so they may also benefit. We'd also appreciate it if you'd rate and review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever podcast app you're using. Our CSN annual forum is coming up in March of 2020, and we'd love to see you there. You'll have the opportunity to connect with other stewardship leaders from all over the country. You'll learn about best practices, new content, and discover ministries that are available to support you in building and running your own stewardship ministry. To register for the forum and for the Stewardship Impact Workshop, go to christianstewardshipnetwork.com slash live events. Until next time, remember, God has called you to be the best steward you can be. So be that faithful steward, but go even further by teaching others to do the same. Thank you.